Well, hello, and welcome to another episode of Sour and Sap. Um, we are joined today by Matthew Russo, uh, straight out of Gimbal. So welcome to the show, Matthew. Thanks, man. Glad to be here. Good. You a little nervous for some sour candy? No, I'm good. I mean, honestly, I haven't had it since middle school, so we'll see how it goes, but not not nervous about it. <laughs> Isn't it funny how sour candy at a young age is like a key cornerstone of our diet, yeah. and then it's like you hit puberty, and then sour candy disappears from your life, and then yeah. we bring it back on the show. I mean, I can't think, like, nothing outside of, like, maybe Saturday morning cartoons reminds me more of, you know, my childhood than, yeah, sour candy and, yeah, trick-or-treating. It's awesome. I love it. I love it. So for everyone here tuning in, I'm going to give you them my take of Gimbal. So, and I want to say, you tell me how close I am, right? So Gimbal is a SaaS company that uses location-based data in the form of an SDK to allow you to take the physical world and the reality around you and advertise to it on your platform. How'd I do? Really well, surprisingly. You, you do better than most of uh, the people we pitch even. So yeah, that's that's right. Um, and I can talk a little bit about kind of the different sides yeah. of the business and maybe some of the background and kind of how we became to be who we are today. But yeah, overall, you, you, you nailed it, spot on. Yeah. Awesome. Now, what I found is in the marketing community, the second we start to say things like programmatic mm-hmm. or physical data, mm-hmm. People get a little uneasy. They're a little uncomfortable. It's a little out of their realm of expertise. So my first question to you today is how can SaaS firms, I I know how Macy's, I know how Taco Bell, I know how these foot traffic type, you know, organizations can use your platform. How can SaaS companies though, like how could a, a SaaS company use physical data to get better with their advertising? Sure. So let's take a step back and maybe talk about kind of the different sides of the business real quick, just to provide some context. So um, about four, four and a half years ago now, we acquired Gimbal um, out of San Diego, the SaaS side of the business. And so we have kind of a platform that allows mostly brands, retailers, grocery stores, uh, et cetera, to install our location SDK inside of their consumer facing app. And then they manage locations inside of our online management platform. And we also have a hardware component. And so... That, so like when they walk in, it'll tag right? Yep. Yep. And so that's where that side of the business kind of got its founding. It was actually founded inside of Qualcomm and then spun out of a group called Qualcomm Retail Solutions. Um, and yeah, we had the opportunity to acquire it. Before that, we were exclusively uh, focused on mobile advertising. So we had built our own DSP, programmatic ad buying. And it wasn't until probably six months after the acquisition where we were like, hey, there's an overlap between these two worlds. Let's call it the location-based marketing side and the advertising side. And a lot of the data that can be generated from the SDK, both for those brands and retailers, but also through third-party apps where um, we have uh, data rights uh, and it's all consumer opt-in, but then you can create audiences, attribution products, et cetera, from that really rich location data. And so that's where a a lot of our location-based segments uh, audiences targeting uh, comes into play on the uh, media side. So if you're a B2B marketer and you want to be targeting people who, uh, you know, a headquarters is at a certain location or um, frequent certain types of like, grocery chains or whatever, you know, you can think of, um, it's just a different 
kind of dimension to target off of. I think most marketers are used to, hey, I want to target, you know, on LinkedIn, these companies or these types of roles or on Facebook, yeah. these types of behavioral segments. It's just a, a, another targeting parameter. Uh, and then the, the distribution channel, like where you can reach those people is obviously different as well. Cool. Now you got my mind turning. I like this. So okay. before I ask my next question, it is sour in size. All right. My favorite part of the show. So, are you ready? Do it. I think I got the same one. I got a yellow. All right. So, okay. I tell us everyone, but the first one is better than the second. So, I see a lot of people trying to target enterprise. Mm -hmm. In bulk does a lot of its own customers being enterprise, mm -hmm. multi-location, large organizations, franchises. In your mind, when you as CMO, when you think about digital to enterprise, mm -hmm. what have you found to be the most effective way to break into target accounts mm -hmm. using digital marketing for yourself? Yeah. Um, so we we do you know pretty standard account-based marketing approaches. Um, we have key target account lists broken out by verticals where mostly our SaaS is a good fit for those use cases. Um, I'll also provide some background as well. You know, for the past four years since we acquired Gimbal, um, I would say our platform has been a nice to have, but not necessarily a, a must have, um, simply because it was mostly put inside of the marketing bucket, bucket uh, for, for most enterprises. Now with COVID, <clears throat> And that kind of accelerating kind of this bridge between physical and digital worlds, um, that functionality that we're building out and, and have available is now kind of powering a lot of commerce companies uh, or commerce teams within organizations as well as operations too. Um, and so when we think about who we're targeting, um, it's still similar to, you know, like I said, key account lists, the verticals that we're going after, um, but it has shifted, especially since a lot of people are work from home now, right? Before we could target people who were at, you know, call it Giant Eagles headquarters or uh, McDonald's headquarters or whatever. But, um, you know, it, it, it's a little bit more challenging now that, you know, if I want to target somebody like myself, uh, you know, and I'm going into the office, maybe never, maybe once a week, depending on what that looks like, uh, it, it can be a bit of a challenge. So um, that said, we still do. Um, we have programs like that. We also um, do a, a bit of uh, SDK research, right? So um, we use some tools where we can look up the apps and, and companies that we're targeting um, that we want to be working with, uh, monitor for uh, competitive SDKs. And if they don't have anything inside of their consumer facing apps, then we know they may be a fit um, if they are interested in, in curbside pickup solutions, for example. I love that. Now, I have some creative ideas. I want to bounce off you. Right. I'm just a little spitballing here because I'm getting excited about your platform. And I want to see if I can help maybe a SaaS marketer apply it in their own mind. Sure. And so let's say I want to advertise at the Super Bowl, but I don't have a $15 million budget for a spot. <laughs> Could I theoretically from the gimbal platform put a geofence around the Super Bowl venue and target everyone at the event? Could that yeah. be a possibility? Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and honestly, that's not super yeah. unique to gimbal, but it's certainly doable, right? So real-time geofencing, absolutely. Um, and that's done all in real time. Um, and that's how most people think about geofencing as well. 
Um, some of the other types of targeting that are, are related to that are what we call geofarming, uh, which is set up a geofence around maybe the Super Bowl or maybe all of the McDonald's and just tell me all of the devices that have been here, been there anytime over the past week or 10 weeks or whatever well, you're talking say I'm selling a, uh, a B2C software to health conscious individuals. Could I target all the people who have been to Juice Stop in the last 30 days and run it like that and then essentially instead of because right outside of gimbal if i if i look at my current options i would have to go on to facebook correct yep. i would go into interests and then i would target people who maybe follow the juice stop page right. or maybe are interested in juice stop through maybe search history or facebook whatever searches and their data but yep. it wouldn't necessarily be people who have purchased from like been to a physical juice application with your platform would that be an op option? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way we describe it is if you think of our SDK, um, it's kind of a pixel for the real world. So everybody's familiar with putting a pixel on your own website and remarketing to them. The, yeah. uh, the, the I guess, benefit of doing it this way is that you don't have to go and hack into your uh, competitors' websites and place your own pixel to see who's been to their website. You can just do it on their physical locations and then be able to retarget uh, to those types of customers. Yeah. Now, let's talk about that because Okay, so when I was prepping for this, I went to your website, and it's a very unique website. I think there's some things like that are very unique about it. I could tell you have an enterprise focus, obviously, mm -hmm. but you had a world-class video on there, live action, fully shot, acted out. It was legitimately one of the best SaaS videos I've ever seen. You know, my recommendation, get that thing a little higher, because it was the best video I've ever seen. I think I'll, I want to see that when I land there. I had to look for it a little bit, but how did you get that approved as CMO? Like, how, because that was not, I don't think, a cheap video, but it's amazing. Like it was like very high level. Everybody here, if you want to watch like a good example of what great video for SaaS looks like, I think you actually have set a standard there. Well, what was filming that like? How did you come up with the idea? Cause yeah. it's not that like crappy motion graphics. It's like a real, it's like a real commercial. It was awesome. Watch for sure. That. Yeah, no, I, a, I appreciate that. B, I agree it needs to be up higher. Um, see, yeah, I mean, that was an idea that I had kicked around in my head for a while of, of like an idea of a narrative and script. And so I started putting pen to paper. It was also at the time when I was living in LA and I had some uh, buddies who worked in post-production on a couple of national shows. And I was like, hey, let me run this idea past you. Like, does it does it work? Is it funny? Is it too tacky? And it's it's a challenge. It was a challenge too, right? We have different sides of our business, different types of customers. And so we had to tell a really broad story, but also make it specific enough that people kind of get what we do, right? And I guess, you know, based on your research, you kind of figured out what we do. So, um, yeah, I mean, from a marketing perspective, to me, it was it was one of those assets where we knew we would invest in it. We would knew we would use it over and over again. And if done well, it would have a longer shelf life than if we just put together, you know, kind of a stock image, stock videos, overlays, voiceover kind of stuff um, that was actually filmed at our um, one of our old offices, um, which is super fun. Um, and uh, yeah, we had an outsourced group who sourced the talent, um, brought them in over the course of a weekend, shot it all, did all the post editing and came out beautifully. We're really happy with it. I don't know if this is too private. You can say no, but sure. can you give me a range on price just out of curiosity? Because that's the best produced, like genuinely, like I love SaaS. All I do is SaaS. I think that's the best video I've seen in recent memory. That's awesome. I'm just curious, like, what, what does something uh, like that cost? Like, gosh, yeah. It's been a couple of years since we produced it. So it's not top of mind. If I remember correctly, it was probably in the... 10k range 10 to 15 something like that yeah i thought you were gonna say like 50 to 100 i swear yeah. to god like yeah 
so yeah, seriously, everybody, I'm not like I'm not like pumping Matthew full of gas. It's legitimately phenomenal video. Um, Thank you. Yeah. You if, if you guys, do you guys do show notes uh, after this call? Yeah. Yeah. I'll cool. link to it. Yeah. Link. Well, link to that, but I'll also link to the group who helped produce it. They're out of LA. Um, super great guys, and uh, yeah, they do great work. They no, they do. It was phenomenal. Now, let's talk about programmatic a little bit. It's this word. And you start saying DSPs and you start saying the rest of it and people's eyes start to gloss over. How should SaaS marketers think about programmatic as part of their media mix yeah. today? Like, where does it fit? Do you know what I mean? Like, how should we think of it? Like, where does it fit? What's its outcome? What's its use case so that we can be successful? Yeah, I think just the word programmatic scares a lot of people because it feels so technical and most people, um, you know, don't have direct exposure to it as they might on a Facebook or Twitter's advertising platform, LinkedIn or whatever, right? Um, Google yeah. ads, obviously. So, uh, but really, I mean, all, behind all of those platforms that are more consumer facing and people have a lot more reps on, they, they have DSPs essentially. So DSP just stands for demand side platform. It's a way to programmatically access um, lots of different inventory. So back in the day, somebody might used to go to an old ad network where, you know, an advertising group would, you know, reach out to this publisher and that publisher and pool all the inventory together and say, hey, do you want to buy? Great. Here, here are, you know, a few hundred websites that you can advertise on. Programmatic rolled that up even further and pulled in, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of inventory sources. So you get broader reach, broader scale. Um, but also, you know, better data to apply. Obviously, and it's similar on Facebook and, and Google. The more inventory there is, the more people um, that have eyeballs on those, you can apply better filtering to that or better targeting so you can yep. hit more of who you want instead of just, you know, kind of spray and pray. So, um, yeah, in terms of how I think about it as a, as a channel, it's um, the way we mostly talk about it, especially with our, our, not end-to-end -end customers, but the people who um, sell on our behalf, either our direct sellers or we have some channel partners as well, is, yeah. um, you know, most people are, you know, obviously spend a lot of time on Facebook and Instagram and now TikTok and a bunch of these emerging platforms, but that's not the only place where they spend their time, right? They're looking at mobile websites, they're on other apps, et cetera. And so if you're interested in reaching people, you know, throughout their day on whatever platform they might be on, programmatic's a, a good channel to explore. I love that. Now, what I found is people think of programmatic, social, any type of, let's just say display base. Because what if just everybody out there, like Google Display and programmatic are the same thing, except you're just buying Google's inventory instead of right. a bunch of different websites. Mm -hmm. And on Google's display, you do have a bunch of websites. So display, just for me listening, if you're running display, you're running programmatic. Yep. Just so everybody has context, okay? Now, when I think about display, sometimes someone will come to me and say, hey, we are trying to get to 250 MQLs and we want to do programmatic. Mm -hmm. And they have this very much performance-based outcome sense of what programmatic is going to do for them. They launch and they think programmatic doesn't work because they didn't get their MQLs. Yep. What KPIs do you recommend we measure programmatic success by? Uh, I'm going to give the typical and bad uh, answer of it depends, um, and, and I'll, I'll preface it as well. You're so, like my economic professor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
No, I mean, honestly, we have advertisers and we use our own platform ourselves for a variety of different marketing initiatives down, uh, you know, from the top of the funnel all the way down. So you can run, you know, brand awareness campaigns and all the way down to, you know, interest and then, you know, uh, activation or, or conversion um, yeah. types of campaigns. Um, and, and just like, you know, if you're, if ad ops teams or whatever the group inside of a, a you know, a SaaS marketing team looks like, um, performance marketer, um, if you hire somebody and they don't know what they're doing, can you spend money on it? Sure. It doesn't matter which channel it is, if it's Google ads or Facebook or, or programmatic, but if they don't know what levers to pull, um, aligning the messaging of, Hey, this is more awareness based, or this is more conversion based. It, you can blow through money very quickly. That said, we have clients who, um, so on top of our technology, especially on the media side, we have, a, it's a managed media offering as well. And so we have a really great and amazing ad operations team. Um, hopefully nobody's listening is going to try and poach our team, but um, they um, uh, run campaigns both for regional and national advertisers way, way down the funnel um, in terms of getting people to landing pages, opting into things, um, everything short of uh, basically pressing the buy now button. And that's all done through our platform and through programmatic channels. So um, yeah, I mean, it does depend on what your your initiative is. Um, yeah. Certainly we can do some retargeting that's more top of funnel and then all the way down to, you know, conversion based uh, towards the bottom. I love that. Now, I'm gonna ask maybe a more pointed question. Mm -hmm. You've probably seen what, you know, Airbnb is saying, what Uber said, and just a lot of, I'd say this like, there's some noise, let's just say, and it's making itself to digital, like national publishers around programmatics filled with fraud. <laughs> it doesn't work. They stopped spending and nothing changed. I sell ad services as well. I don't buy into all that, but I also am hesitant towards some of the reality of fraud at programmatic. What's the dirty truth of programmatic so that we go in with our eyes wide open? Like what should our expectation be around like how much of these impressions are real? How much of what we're experiencing is going to lead to real life? Like what's the, like the down low in your mind as someone on the inside? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we see and combat fraud every day, so it's not like it's not there. Um, and to be ignorant to say, oh yeah, it just doesn't exist. Um, but also there, I mean, the, the industry continues to evolve and frankly has been, uh, there are tools in place. Uh, we partner with uh, groups like, um, uh, oh my gosh, uh, IAS, I wanna say IAB, uh, Integral Ad Science and others who are fraud prevention, um, you know, tools that you can apply to your campaigns and they literally blacklist uh, in real time, produce reports, you know, post campaign and, and do a whole bunch of, you know, really cool stuff um, that make sure that, you know, your, your dollars aren't just going. The other more pragmatic piece that I think of is, you know, again, especially if you're focused on lower funnel activities, um, you can literally see, uh, you know, it's one thing to serve an ad to a device somewhere in China, uh, you know, at, at some click farm, but it's different uh, if there are actually leads and email addresses being input into a customer's landing page and you're seeing those things convert in real time. Um, so in that way, like, what are you after? Are you after just impressions? Sure. Just hit launch and let it run and you'll go through your budget. But if you're actually optimizing and having teams that know what they're looking at and can 
blacklist or whitelist uh, inventory sources that are, it, it's the age old optimization. If you, you know, same thing, I keep coming back to Google and Facebook and other platforms. If you know what you're doing and you, you know how to apply the, that logic to any of them, you're going to get the results you're looking for. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I love that, Matthew. Now, we do have one more piece of sour candy. Are you ready? Sounds great, man. Yeah. And I promise I have one. I do have a follow up on that, though, because sure. this is, I think, it's not too like format programmatic. It's more to give programmatic a voice. Because I don't think anyone actually gives you all a voice. And I think everybody has these opinions, especially in this performance side of what programmatic does. I'm actually a huge believer. I just want to layer in that. Like I, I believe that like connected TV is the future. I believe that top of funnel advertising is critical, especially in SaaS when you're trying to think about category creation. Yep. I think all these things. Now, the people on Twitter, when these articles go out, and if you scroll into the comments and you go to the replies, mm -hmm. when the programmatic vendors say, look, we're doing everything we can to prevent fraud. Okay, this is a top priority for us. But then you all make a money, let's say, on a percent of revenue, just like Google or anybody else, right? Mm -hmm. They might say, okay, but don't you make more money with the fraud? What's the truth behind that though? Because I think I want to give you like an actual voice. I'm actually genuinely curious. Like, what's the truth behind how programmatic executives teams think about fraud? Like, do they see it as like, a, oh, we have to act like we care about it, or is it like a top priority because of the KPIs? Like, I'm actually genuinely curious. Yeah. Uh, so two parts. One is again, I'll go back to the performance piece. If the goal is just to run budgets then great, fraud is okay and you can get by with it for a while. But eventually your clients are gonna be like, I'm not getting crap from this, I'm not gonna renew. And you're, you might win in the short term, higher margins, whatever, but you're gonna lose in the long term. Um, great point. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's my main one. Um, I had a second one, but I guess the sour kicked in, I don't remember it now. Um, <laughs> um, oh, and then, yeah, kind of back to um, the CTV stuff. Um, we agree. Um, so, uh, gosh, five months ago now, we acquired a company called Truex out of Disney, um, whose sole focus is on um, what they call engagement ads within uh, primarily um, CTV, but also episodic um, content um, through big publishers. And their main focus is uh, two, I guess. One is super brand safe, super high reliability, low fraud inventory. And then the second is um, engagement based. So it's not just like a standard 15, 30 second spot that you might see in between your favorite you know, Hulu episodes. It's actually a customer with a, a controller in their hand can use their Hulu or their uh, Roku rather to interact with the ad. And so again, could a bot interact with that? Sure, but most of the time, especially through those uh, you know, kind of flagship integrations with those publishers, we know pretty definitively inventory is safe. It's not going to be fraud, fraudulent, and there's a lot of opportunity there. And so we've seen a lot of national advertisers. That's mainly who Truex is focused on. Um, love the product. It's a higher CPM, but it's certainly um, for the right type of customer. It's an awesome uh, offering. Yeah, I'm finding that CPMs are mattering less and less because people are so scared of fraud that they're wanting this like one-to-one -one connection with their yeah. user. So I think that's a brilliant point you make. Now, I think one of the questions that I have for you just along this is I'm a head of demand at a SaaS company. Mm -hmm. I got a hundred K a month budget. Mm -hmm. I'm probably guessing right now. I'm not a gimbal customer to a certain extent, especially mm -hmm. that's not programmatic. And I want to take, let's say 15% of that. 
So I want to spend 15 grand a month mm -hmm. to test out programmatic. Mm -hmm. Do you have a vendor you recommend? Cause like trade desk, not going to be a fit, right? Um, I can go down the list. I've done a bunch of research. I have a couple I recommend, but I'd love to hear from your perspective on the inside. Who's a vendor you recommend for someone who wants to dip their toes into programmatic, test it out, see if it works for them, right? Yeah. Like I can't get double click or Google marketing platform anymore because I don't spend enough. I can't get, you know what I'm saying? Like all of a sudden there's this whole world of programmatic that the general market can't dip their toes in. Yeah. What do we do? Which is weird, right? Because the reason the trade desk and other platforms have grown both in popularity and uh, valuation is because it's supposed to be self-serve and yet they're still positioned as you have to have big budgets we're for agency trade desks uh, and you have to be pumping you know a million dollars a month through it right so i gotta front the bill as the agency it's like the 1960s all over again in programmatic yep. right like yep. how what do we do what do we do like how do i help people get into programmatic i mean i would hate to toot our own horn too much here but that that is one of the offerings that gimbal provides again not necessarily through a self-serve offering but i mean to give some perspective. So part of our, our media side of our business is through what we call channel partners. These are typically traditional media companies who have national networks. So think local television, radio stations, billboard companies, et cetera, who are out there promoting and selling uh, digital reach products. And behind the scenes is Gimbal. Um, and so we, we service like literally small local pizza shops who those groups have sold into and we're running campaigns for them uh, primarily through our ad operations team and, and account management teams. So yeah, if, if that's an, an interesting uh, channel yeah. to look at, whether you're a SaaS marketer or a regional local advertiser, certainly hit us up. We'd love to, to chat. Yeah. And since this is my show, I'm going to provide some other options too. Great. Um, Stack Adapt. Have you heard of Stack Adapt? I have not. Uh, okay. So, for all those out there, there are some platforms. So I had to go through this all because as an agency, one of the hard parts about programmatic is there's not a lot of self-serve options. And there's also not a lot of options in programmatic that don't require minimum spends. So what it means is you have to have required minimum spends and there's no self-serve. So if you're just like wanting to test it for a quarter, not, not really a reality. So I did find Stack Adapt. Um, mm -hmm. So for everyone listening who wants to dip their toes in it because they're tuning into this and they're thinking about programmatic, you can test it out. I think my big thought around programmatic, and I'd like to get your take on this, Matthew, is like, I should be spending on it, but the way I need to think about my budget to start is what amount of money I'm comfortable losing to never stop. Sure. And here's what I mean by that is if you run programmatic with a short-term outcome in mind, I think you're gonna fail every time because it doesn't, it's kind of like when people run a digital marketing campaign that's shorter than their sales cycle and then they sell, say it failed. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. they have a 90 day sales cycle and they run the campaign for 30 days and like it drove no revenue. Right. Well, it technically never could. I think the same thing with programmatic. How long do we need to think about running a brand campaign for in your mind? Like what are the most successful advertisers do in your mind like do they run it for two years three years a quarter three quarter like how long should we think about a window right like if someone says it takes seven months for seo to seven months for seo to work right, right. they say maybe three months for paid media yeah how long for programmatic in your mind oh man that's a tough question um i don't know that i have a, a templated answer for that honestly again 
I keep coming back to these other platforms that people are more familiar with because I, I have experience with them too. You know, before I got into the programmatic ecosystem um, and we were building those products, I was, you know, I cut my teeth on all, you know, Facebook, Google, you know, et cetera. Um, and and I, I just keep coming back to those parallels. Like if I were to launch a brand new product or, or brand on any of those platforms and I didn't know what I was doing and I, I wasn't optimized, I could run it for a week, a month, a year. And if I don't know what I'm doing, it's not going to get the results you're looking for. And in the same way, maybe, you know, programmatic has a lot more inventory choices, but if you weren't optimizing towards, you know, know how to optimize towards what you're trying to get to it, just because it's shiny and new doesn't mean you're going to get the results there in my opinion. So I, I don't have a good answer. No, 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 that's totally fair. And I think that's totally fair. And it's a tough question. I think, I guess maybe my last question that is tough, but I do, I would love to hear your perspective of is targeting and programmatic. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend? You know um, what I mean? Like if I go on LinkedIn, right? Like titles might outperform function. Right. And it might definitely outperform seniority. Yep. But nothing outperforms my ABM list. In sure. other words, if I upload my own data and I go first party, I've always outperformed third party because I get better accuracy and relevance. Yep. How does it work in programmatic? Like what, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Is it better to just go on, connect the TV and do the history channel? Cause I think my people are curious. Is it better to go on the outdoors channel? Cause I think our, my people are active or like, how should I be most effective in thinking yeah. about targeting? I mean, it's the age old behavioral versus contextual versus, you know, yeah. Um, and so we also sit at, kind of at the intersection of the, the media side, like where you can buy the inventory plus the data side. And so we obviously have a slant towards uh, location-based audiences um, because that's where we're founded, but also I'll, I'll give a broader perspective. So we sell into tier one and tier two agencies, you know, think holding company uh, agencies uh, for, like I said, regional and national advertisers. Say it again. Uh, Digitas or uh, WPP or something like okay. that. Yep, yep. So they actually have different teams with different budgets for their national clients where they say, here's the programmatic bucket of your budget, but they may also have even a location-based budget or what? whatever, right? And so um, in that way, like there are a million options out there and the balance is always precision versus scale. So like we were talking about, if we wanted to target all the people who went to McDonald's let's call it this past hour. Can we build an audience from that? Sure. Is it going to have enough scale in order to push enough national budgets through? Maybe, maybe not. Right. And so the kind of the dirty secret within data and targeting is, Hey, I can create an audience that has 5 million, you know, uh, unique people or devices inside of it, but it may be modeled. It may, you know, be really old data, maybe whatever. And I'm not saying we do it or, or competitors do it or whatever. It's just, People always have this lens of like, I want to target people who went to a Kroger grocery store or down aisle seven, spent three minutes there and they have a French poodle named John or whatever. Right. And it's like, great. There was one person in the whole country who fits that. Even if you targeted them over and over again, like you aren't going to, it's not going to get the outcome at the bottom of the funnel that you want. You need to broaden it a little bit. So, um, yeah. So back to your original question, like what works for targeting? We have a strong bent towards location based because that's our bread and butter. Um, but also it's it's not better or worse than anything. It's just it's an option. What's the best for your outcome? And I love that. And the fact that you have location physical data, I think, is a truly unique point. So, yeah. Matthew, I feel like I just got my master's on programmatic. Thank you so mm -hmm. much. Uh, 
for being on the show. If anyone wants to follow along with your journey, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, uh, I would head up gimbal.com. Uh, I'm around on social media, LinkedIn, a uh, whole bunch of channels. Post occasionally there, but yeah, mostly heads down and producing content for, for Gimbal. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Matthew. And uh, that's Sarah Sass. Bye, everybody. Thanks, everybody.